The Boldly Now Show, burning desire, big ideas, bold action. This is Michael Sean Conaway with Boldly Now. I have the great honor and pleasure of introducing you to my friend, Suzanne Frent. Uh, Suzanne is a global leader in developing leadership. Uh, she spent most of her career doing that, and she's uh, an expert in the emerging field of community-led community development. Uh, Suzanne has uh, just stepped down as the CEO of The Hunger Project uh, and has a lot of experience in understanding how to uh, bring leadership and expertise to communities where they can use those as resources to develop themselves. Suzanne, uh, welcome to Boldly Now. Thank you, Michael Sean. Um, Suzanne, we're you know we're in this pandemic moment right now, and it's it's still pretty new. We're we're a couple of months into it, and uh, although there's kind of an emerging sense of we're out of the kind of first chaotic stage, we're now into a new stage, um, but it's still very disruptive. You know, and people have been been touched in their lives, and uh, you know there's there's suffering going on in many different areas of the planet. Um, we've got economic economic systems that are, if not failing, they're stretched to their failing points. Uh, healthcare responses that are vastly inadequate to the challenges at hand. Um, and amongst all this kind of chaos and, and kind of transitionary experience that we're going through, there's also some moments of beauty and, and uh, uh, kind of new things coming through that, that are touching our heart in positive ways. Um, now just where are you today? What's happening for you? What's in your world? Um, yeah, just update us. What, where is it? What, what is it like where you are and what's going on for you personally? Well, personally, I live in Kirkland, Washington, the state of Washington in the U.S., and that is the place where the very first, about a mile from here, the very first case of COVID was diagnosed in the U.S., so felt very um, surreal and very early on in the whole process. So I feel in some ways that this local experience that I'm having that's part of the global experience is, uh, uh, you know, is way, way early in, in the process. And uh, we're, we're fine, we're safe. Um, just really in my role as uh, also as a global board member of the Hunger Project, I'm just present to on our calls, just the, the horrific uh, fallout and consequences, not just of the, the disease itself, but on livelihoods and people having to leave their place of work where they live. You know, millions of garment workers in Bangladesh and having to walk 100 kilometers home. Many people starving along the way, only to be rejected by people in their villages, thinking they're bringing the COVID to them. So there's just so much human uh, trauma and drama that it comparatively, my life here in Kirkland, Washington, um, it feels like a, a world away from that. And yet I know we're all connected. Yeah, um, and and I think the, like when we experience fragility in, in you know the United States or Europe uh, or one of the, the highly developed countries, um, you know, it's a very personal experience for us and it's, it's difficult, but I think most people have a, 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 it's really challenging for them to begin to imagine what this might be like for the, you know, the bottom 2 billion people on the planet. Um, and then how do we even begin, like we can't even sort our own lives out or our own communities out, how we even begin to think about them is I think it's challenging for most people. It is, you know, the, the leaders I've been interacting with here in the in the U.S. and my back now in my role at leadership development education, it's uh, I have to keep bringing myself present to be present with their upset. Right. You know that they can't get to the grocery store. They've got their children home and being homeschooled and the chaos that that brings. Or 
uh, you know, a couple are both working from home and, and sort of all, all over each other in that context. And, and yet that does cause a, a dissonance, a, you know, disconnection in many ways. And then the contrast of this global role I have in the Hunger Project of also understanding what that means, um, as you said, for people in, in uh, rural villages who already were on the very tentative edge of, of life and livelihoods. So, the, you know, the contrast to not discount the experience that each and every person is having globally, that it touches each of us um, and in a very disconnecting and displacing way. Yeah, and one thing that just struck me recently, I just heard about, you know, farmers destroying livestock and, and crops and stuff. And, you know, I think this has been, this has been common knowledge since the 1970s that there are people on the, on the planet who are in, in food poverty. And then there's food waste of, you know, incredibly baffling proportions. Um, but, but again, in COVID time, you know, like the, just, and getting the, like the system that's built up, the reason that they're having to get rid of these food is because major distributors to like fast food restaurants and stuff can't take the produce in and they have no other distribution channels. You, you really quickly get a, um, you get a picture of what, what building for efficiency versus effectiveness is like we have a very highly efficient system for doing one thing, but if you break that thing, then the system is really not really good for much of anything. And I think that's, I mean, I know that's confronting me. That's gotta be kind of confronting for you and, and people who are working in development around hunger, especially. It is, and you know, the, uh, Michael Sean, the Hunger Project works in about 14,000 rural villages around the world. So mostly with the rural poor and uh, those in poverty. And the, uh, you know, the impact of COVID was very, very sudden in most of those countries, the shutdowns that, you know, really just having people get accurate information that shutdown doesn't mean that farmers shouldn't plant seeds or that harvesting shouldn't be done. Most of those people are subsistence, small scale, scale farmers. So, you know, the challenge in having them get accurate and good information from, from you know reliable sources, WHO or their the CDC of their country um, is crucial. Otherwise, as you've seen, as we've seen everywhere, people get crazy information, including taking drugs that could actually or practices that could actually be very detrimental. So um, I think that's something we share too around the world is the need for that. For good information, good sense making, we call it. Um, <laughs> well, and, and, and here we are. We're inundated with bad sense making in, in Western worlds, how do you get good sense to people? And that's a totally different conversation. But I, I do wanna I do want to talk about one of the, I mean, I mentioned, you know, this gap in the supply chain and whatnot. And I know that's not what the Hunger Project does. The Hunger Project doesn't supply food aid as a, as a means right. to end hunger. Tell us a little bit about what the Hunger Project's approach to ending hunger is. Sure, and, and in Michael Sean, in ways it does actually connect to that sense-making conversation because the work of the Hunger Project has always been over the last 42 years is about uplifting and developing community-based leadership. Mm -hmm. So that means uh, we currently have trained 500,000 of the rural level, two-thirds of those women who are now in their communities. You, you and I had a conversation the other day where I heard you use the term hyperlocal. And you know, we talk about localization of the work. Hyperlocal is really a great description of the work of the Hunger Project. Because in these times, it's actually through the leadership of those folks and mobilizing their communities, mobilizing volunteers, that roughly 16 and a half million people can be reached. So the work of the Hunger Project has been in this, what we call community-led 
development methodology, which means starting with women as key change agents, mobilizing the communities for self-reliant action and forging great relationships with local governance where often there are the resources people need. So this methodology over the last 42 years has actually positioned the Hunger Project and other organizations who use this community-led approach to be able to have, you know, make a commitment to COVID resilient communities because it's those community leaders themselves. It's not the expats sitting in some, you know, city, large city or even national staff sitting in some large city. It's actually those leaders who've been trained to, for communication, for leadership, for collaboration, for um, accessing resources. Those folks with, uh, are the real heroes and heroines um, bringing about the, you know, the safety and, and well-being of the communities. So that's been the Hunger Project's pro approach over the last 42 years. And I'm just thrilled that during this, thrilled is a strange word to use, but I'm, I'm really proud and, and uh, it's great to see that this community-led approach is actually what's making the difference in this time of COVID-19. Yeah, and it's, it's you know, I've, I've been familiar with the Hunger Project for most of my adult life, because um, as you said, it's, it's would you say 42 years now? 42 years, yeah, yeah. so I was- I'm 43, yeah. I was a young one, uh, <laughs> no, but I, I, you know, I, I've been aware of it like an idea, right? And I, this idea of going into communities and, and developing people so that they can have their own capacity to end hunger in their communities always stuck with me. It's like, oh, that's just, that's so smart. That's so much better. And of course we have the, you know, biblical reference of teaching people to fish, you know, instead of, instead of giving them a fish. And that's so there was a, it seems sensible and smart, but right now, right in this moment, uh, you know, the, 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 the kind of conversation around world and global governance is starting to take on this notion that um, there will never be a centralized authority that can understand local uh, economies, local resources, local uh, customs and traditions um, well enough to not end up oppressing people. Any one size fits all solution leaves a certain percentage of people out. And I think in the past, you know, historically, as we were trying to lift ourselves up into the industrial age, it, it was okay. And I think right now it's getting to the point where like, oh, wow, maybe like designing a system that has poverty and starving people in the system as a fact of the system is no longer tolerable. And we don't have enough, um, we don't have enough people in a centralized location to ever fi figure it out for everywhere. So we actually better teach everywhere or all the locations to do that for themselves. And then organically, like an ecosystem, you end up with feedback loops and you end up with rich inform rich information, rich environment where localized sense making can happen. And then hyper local decision making can happen. And then, it, and then you have to, then you get like, now the hunger project is like, not like a really cool idea. It's actually an essential ingredient into governing the world is if you don't have those skills at that hyper local level then you can't have good sense making and if you can't have good sense making you can't have good choice making i also just want to you know applaud like the, the leading through women and the women in the villages understanding that uh the, like the power of that so in a way i, th I really feel um you know, like like the hunger project was time traveling when they were started you know like they, they they traveled to now and started to figure out what was going to be needed now and 40, for 40 years, I've been working on figuring that out. And we are so lucky to have the insights of the Hunger Project um, for, for our time, where we really begin to tackle, like, what is, what is global governance going to look like? And what is hyper-local governance and leadership and 
working together going to look like? So I, I, I'm going to thank all of the Hunger Project and everybody that's gone before you, through you. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. Uh, well, thank you for everything you said, Michael, Sean. It, you know, the, when you said actually standing in this moment and creating what needed to happen, that's exactly the, the technology, the human-centered technology of the Hunger Project. Our vision, commitment, and action workshop actually has all of us, but also people in communities stand in, stand in, in the future, you know, where their village is free from hunger, where boys and girls go to school equally, where clean water and sanitation is available to all. It's way beyond ending hunger. Mm. Right? It's like, what is, you know, what is this beautiful, abundant, um, you know, collaborative sort of village that they create for themselves? And then that, once that vision is created, there are people who just light up and get excited about that, that vision and that future. Those people we call catalysts or animators. And they're usually the ones that say, what do we do? What do we take on? How do we make this happen? And you know, through that, there's a, usually a small group of people who take on a project or two to build their muscles in collaboration and to actually take on something that previously they might have just waited for the government or waited for some nonprofit to come do for them. And through that, but you know, and through the leadership of the women in the village, because their voices have to come together with men um, to be able to have that kind of collaboration, that new sense of the capacity of humans is expanded. So yes, it is fully standing in the future, standing in the vision of how we want the world to be. The Hunger Project's vision statement, which has been for me also taken on as my personal vision statement also, is a world where every woman, man, and child leads a healthy and fulfilling life of self-reliance and dignity. It's way beyond ending hunger, Michael Sean. Yeah, great. And I think, um, I mean, I, I want, every time I hear that, I think, wow, if I, I wish that for every human being, um, you know, it doesn't matter, doesn't matter what the level of, of, you know, apparent wealth or poverty is. Uh, and so thank you for that. And, and again, thanks for the hundreds of projects. Just tell us really quickly, and I'll get this up on the screen in the interview. Uh, if somebody wanted to donate to the hunger project and support their programs, where would they reach out to? Who would they contact? Sure. Well, the website is www.thp.org and you can do forward slash life earth. Great. So thp.org gets you there forward slash live earth. Great. Um, I, I, I want to make sure that people do understand that the money that they donate actually goes to these educational programs in the, Absolutely. in the developing uh, countries that you guys support. Uh, you can find a lot of information about the hunger projects. An amazing story. If you want to actually hear a story, of, <laughs> bold idea and a bold promise uh, got carried forward into the world. It's, it's an amazing case study. If you're interested in building your own uh, bold project, you should definitely look at the Hunger Project uh, and the way they've done that. I want to, I'll come back to the other part of what Hunger Project does in, in kind of its, uh, the way it addresses governments and governance at the, at the, uh, at the, at the countrywide level. Um, but before I do that, I actually want to talk about now, you've been working on taking the learnings of the Hunger Project into uh, this larger conversation called community-led development, which is, if I understand this correctly, is to take the learnings of the Hunger Project outside of the Hunger Project and make it available to anybody that wants to do community development in this way. Is that, is that right? That sounds really interesting. Yeah, it's pretty close, Michael, Sean. Well, the Hunger Projects, all the methodology of the Hunger Project is already open source. Mm -hmm. And what I'm really fired up about is, is taking the essence of that vision, commitment, and action workshop and having that be in its most generic and powerful form for any nonprofit to be able to take on. And also what I've learned over, particularly during the time of being the 
global CEO of the Hunger Project is many other organizations have also developed some methodologies that help unleash the human spirit and really accomplish that essential mindset shift change from I can't to I can to we can. So, you know, my, my uh, commitment is really to also honor all of those and to be able to bring the best of those in combination with the Hunger Project's work and make it available open source uh, to all the nonprofits in the world. I think that having that as a resource along with all the other resources for the movement that the movement for community-led development has would just be one more thing to help really scale that leadership globally. Yeah, um, really important point you made there, and I want to make sure that our audience really pays attention here. You know, especially like we think about in COVID right now, what if somebody comes up with a vaccine? Will only rich people be able to get it? Yeah. Uh, or will the global community come together and say, no, that's needed for the whole world. If we don't take care of the whole world, then, then we still have the problem. And I think most people are starting to go, oh, wow, you, everybody should have access to the vaccine. And right. I want to say that one of the things you're pointing to here is what we at Boldly Now we say is like one of the underpinning fundamentals of a thriving humanity is that the equal access to this intellectual property, this, these things that we've learned to do, and then, we, then some organizations hold them tightly and protect them in some way. And I'm not saying we should do away with capitalism and ownership and things like that. That's, a, that's another debate for another time. But the fact that there are, are, are organizations who are bravely uh, who have bravely made things open source is one thing, but I think what you're doing is a step further. You're not only saying, hey, there's some open sources things, you can just come get them. You're actually actively trying to engage others in the process of taking up this, this, uh, this, these processes and information. Um, so it's almost like you're out there actively giving away intellectual property, not just making it open. You're, you're being the Johnny Appleseed of, of you know, ways to get development to happen. And I, I applaud that. And I'm just also like, what does that feel like? When, and how's it working is the other part of that. <laughs> well, that certainly is the intention. You, know, you talked about open access. The, one of the catchphrases I had during my time as CEO of the Hunger Project was causing collaboration at scale. You know, I just, dun, dun, dun. I just love you know, this idea of having um, really causing, uh, you know, collaboration doesn't necessarily only happen on its own. Right, like in the, in the rural communities, it's those leaders, those people who lit up during the Vision Commitment Action Workshop, who actually take on mobilizing their community. They're the right. agents for change, right? So it does take an agent for change to cause collaboration. So to cause collaboration at scale in this community-led approach, these you know these materials and resources have to be available. So um, how it's going, you know, we were invited to several of us were invited to Haiti recently through the uh, generosity and request of an organization called Haiti Outreach to really bring the vision, commitment, and action workshop there and sort of try it out in its in a more generic form to adapt it into Haiti Outreach's methodology. And I'd say that that went really, really well. And we learned a lot about how to be responsible for pulling out the context-appropriate pieces. Right, there's pieces of of the shifting mindsets and the training and development for leadership that are the distinctions that need to, you know, the, the, the things that need to be in there. And then there's always this context appropriate piece about what's the, you know, what is the historical, um, you know, what's, the, his, what's the, the story, the history of people in this particular region? What's their terminology? What's their relationship to development? What's their relationship to training? What's their relationship to leadership? What's their relationship to government? That has to be considered. So, um, so we're in the, I would say, stage one of that development and uh, intending to have something more broadly available here very soon. 
That's really exciting. Yeah. I'm we're we're big fans, big supporters, big collaborators. Yes. You know, I, I just see so much of of what you know, like everybody's like dying. Well, what 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 about post COVID? What do we do? Well, these are one of these things you can do. You can support the Hunger Project. You can get involved in in learning how to do uh, hyper local community development. Uh, right. And 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 uh, you know, Suzanne's out there. Hunger Project's out there. And how can I, is there any way yet to get a hold of information on the community led development work that you guys are doing? Is that to be to be coming soon? There, well, there's a website for the movement for community-led development, so people who are involved in development can uh, get information about the global organization and the national chapters in each country that do the, for the government advocacy by collaborating together. There are several working groups of the movement, and we're in the process of getting connected into the movement for community-led development. We do have a, a website also for the work that uh, I'm doing towards developing this, these workshops. So let's, let's, and I want to kind of broaden this out now. I know in the Hunger Project and certainly in the conversation for community-led development, it has, it has two parts. It's not just grassroots, on-the-ground, hyper-local uh, advocacy. It's also governmental advocacy. Can you tell us a little bit about that part as well? Yes, absolutely. Well, each uh, in, as part of the movement for community-led development that was started in 2015, the Hunger Project is a secretariat for that movement. Mm -hmm. and, but there are also national chapters. There are a dozen or more national chapters around the world. And in these national chapters, that's where the actual advocacy work gets done for that government. So it isn't someone in you know, New York or DC advocating to Malawi how they should you know, ship their policies, not at all. It's, it's uh, the Hunger Project Malawi, Heifer Project, and, and many other of our partners in the movement, uh, collaborating together, and local NGOs as well, collaborating together to go with one voice, a shared vision, a shared agenda, and one voice to government officials. So in that way, there's a, you know, of course, a stronger, you know, set of people and voice to listen to, but it also has that local slash national, you know, local uh, feel of what, what, uh, what's needed in their, in their country. Yeah, great. And that's a model we really, really support, you know, like, great great governance at the larger umbrella level, whether it be state or nation level or, or global level to protect you know, human rights and the, the, the commons of the planet, uh, paired with this hyper-local solution making. Uh, I, I really, I mean, like, to me, like that's, that's the model and, any yeah. and the more we can prove that out and see. Now, right now you're advocating on behalf of, we'd, I think I'd rather see you guys actually be the, the, the governing bodies. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. But, you know, there's, there's some good results. I mean, one story in uh, Benin, for example, that national chapter was successful in having the national government come and attend, actually was believe it was at, at the Hunger Project office, uh, attend a planning session to see how they could might incorporate community-led development in their national plan. Wow. So, you know, there are many examples of where interested government officials, whether it's a minister of sanitation or the you know, the, whatever is the minister who gets excited about that, then tends to want to bring in community-led development to their governmental programs. And that's crucial because government really has to take the responsibility for infrastructure as well, health you know, health hospitals, healthcare, water systems, sanitation, education, schools, all those sorts of things that in many, many countries, nonprofits are currently filling that gap. Right. Nonprofits need to, international nonprofits need to pull themselves out of that over time as governments step in and take responsibility and as rural grassroots leaders can rise up with their voice uh, and their plans to sort of meet government. So that's, that's the plan, the grassroots level sort of leadership rising up 
yep. to be that vehicle that local governments can trust to take take the resources and take the responsibility as well as national governments you know coming up to speed on what's theirs what's theirs to provide yeah it seems like a a revolution going at the proper speed um, <laughs> you know without having to break something to have a revolution in model it's right. slowly it's slowly re replacing the existing model with a better model and and i think we need a lot of examples of that obviously and maybe in, in a lot of domains um so just if you can just help my audience out just a little bit you know a lot of the people um who are falling boldly now are um you know they're, they're younger or, or or maybe they're at a point in their life where they've had a very traditional career a traditional uh, a path and they're they're feeling a longing to to, to do something more or to get involved or, or be in action uh, they're not really sure what that kind of bold thing is inside of them or what they want to, what are just some things that, that people can attend to? Like, how can they orient themselves to begin to know where they might actually play a role in some of these exciting things you're talking about? Right. It, it, I'm so glad you asked that question. I actually have several friends who called to see if I would speak to their senior college student children to say, you know, they've got a degree in women's studies or, you know, whatever it is in, like, what do they do now? And how do they look at how to, to really, you know, deploy themselves powerfully in the world today? So it's a great question. I, I think I, I, I trust our youth, uh, first of all, to be very much, very civic minded and interested in the bigger picture. I think some, some practical, um, practical recommendations are really spend some time looking to see what's your vision for your life. Because whatever you do next for a job or, or however you deploy yourself, whatever you do next is a stepping stone to that. But having the vision for your life is a way to measure up to that, to measure is this next thing I'm going to take on doing that. Uh, the, the Hunger Project has its vision, commitment, and action workshop, also working on a version that citizens could uh, take on and do for themselves. I'm going to try it out with some of these, you know, friends of uh, friends of mine, uh, and uh, make that available much more broadly. There, uh, there are a group of people. If they're if they're college students, I'd say if the they have a and they're in the U.S. If they have a chapter of feel good in their universities, even during this virtual time, those folks are helping students become and learn how to be a good global citizen and how to, to give back. So I'd say first look to what the, you think the vision for your life is and look at the opportunities of what's missing out there. Magic question the Hunger Project is always after visioning is ask the question, what's missing? Mm -hmm. What's missing that if provided would, would leverage and catalyze movement to that vision? So get clear early in life what your life's about. And if you're not sure, take on a world where every woman, man, and child leads a healthy and fulfilling life of self-reliance and dignity. Try that one for a while. Yeah, that, that's a good one to be in service to follow them. Okay, so I want to say, hey, if, if there's any way that Boldly Now, you know, in the next three to six months could do uh, one of those as an online experience for for the people in our community that are interested, yeah. I, I would love to find a way to support that. Let's, just, let's try it out. I mean. We have, we have a lot of people right now that two things are happening. One is either they're emerging into their adult life in a time when there's no jobs. Yes. Um, or they're in a period of life they've either lost a job or the job that they had um, is no longer a match for who they are inside. And, and, and I want to make sure that we can get as many resources to people to be able to have that, that luxury really to have the self-examination. Yes. Uh, to try to figure out what their purpose and their vision is. 
and then figure out where in the world that might align. I mean, yes. In the, in this time, I think it's like people people are bored, and I promise you, the world is not going to get transformed by watching by doing more binge watching. Exactly. Uh, and and I'm not saying binge watching is bad. Everybody can do a little bit of that occasionally, but at a certain point, it's like, well, what what is mine to do? Really, what is mine to do out there? And and I think our job as organizations that are supporting that is to is to help answer that. Well, it could yes. be A, it could be C, it could be could, here's a bunch of options, um, so that they don't feel like they're in a desert of of opportunity to make a difference and a contribution. So um, we'll yes. partner with you guys to figure if we can get yes. one of those those going, an online digital version of that. Uh, in the thank next. you for that. Um, and um, you know, and and just um, like now back to you. You know, I know you've 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 just completed being this the, the global CEO of the Hunger Project. That's been in the past few months. Is that right? It is. Yes. It was. It's became a a much more um, sort of chaotic transition for me than I originally intended, given that COVID sort of hit and all travel and everything sort of came to a sudden halt. But it's also very fortuitous to give it time to be reflective and see of all the things in the Hunger Project that really I'm excited about, what's mine to contribute to now. Yeah. And so that really led me to what we've just been talking about. Yeah, and I'm excited about the work you're doing in the community-led development. I'm, I'm excited to see what happens with uh, kind of the, the new evolution of the leadership work you're doing. Um, and we are, we'll be really excited to have you back on the show in about uh, two or three months to get an update on all that um, and hear um, a little bit more. And I think one of the things that, that's important, I think, for people to think, remember is that it's not like you achieve some level of personal development or consciousness in your life and then, wow, you're set. You can just kind of cruise on uh, that, that we have to keep growing and developing. And, and uh, you know, uh, uh, that goes on for as long as we're breathing. We still have that and so i think it's great just thank you for being a demonstration of that and seeing the evolution of your life and your work and uh you know just know that uh, me personally i'm a huge fan uh and uh, you know I, what you're doing is an exemplary of what we're what we're saying to the world is possible through the boldly now platform this is this is a possible way to live your life and yes make contributions and thank have you. a great life and and uh you know so yeah thank you uh, yes. and uh, anything else left for you before we we sign off today um, I would just sign off by saying be visions focused and mobilize communities for self-reliant action and be courageous. Uh, thank you, Suzanne. You bet. Thanks, Michael Sean. The Boldly Now Show, igniting the world of burning desire, big ideas, and bold action. Be sure to download Boldly You in the App Store, Google Play, or online at bold.ly forward slash Y-O-U. Boldly You is an app and learning platform igniting your burning desire, big ideas, and bold action, generating a future for a thriving humanity.